0: This is SR1. The Rob Carter
1: Show. All right, everybody, here we go. Today is Sunday, January 7th, 2023. My name is Rob Carter. Welcome to SR1 Sundays on News Talk. STL got a loaded show for you. A lot of information to get through. Let's all pray that I can do this in a logical, essay-style form. This morning, or yesterday morning, when I got up, everybody was sending me information about this Tucker Carlson interview. And I know I talk a lot about Tucker Carlson. I do that, not because I'm a huge fan, but I think he's on to a lot of themes that I agree with. So he has this guy named Brett Weinstein, On the show, and I don't know how many people know who Brett Weinstein is. I believe he's an evolutionary biologist, famous guy. People know who he is, very bright. And he goes on the Tucker Carlson show and starts talking about the pandemic treaty. I've reported on it many times before this pandemic treaty, where it turns over national sovereignty to the World Health Organization at the United Nations if there's a public health emergency. That may sound wonderful until you understand that the United Nations is an unelected body of thieves and criminals, for the most part. So if you're going to turn over your sovereignty to an unelected body that has global power, that's not good. That could turn into a situation that we don't like, especially as you watched what happened with COVID. The COVID con job, I like to call it. So let me walk through this with you for just a moment. Let me play this clip. Let me just get it started. I want to play this clip, and then before I even get too far into the show, I want to remind everybody that we still have a an interview that I did with Senator Bill Igel, who's running for governor, and I want to play some more clips on the back half of the show. So stick around. This is going to be a great show if you're somebody who likes information, likes to put pieces of a puzzle together. And then I got on the very last segment, seven, segment six, we're going to play a little bit more from David Stuckenberg. If you did not get to hear last week's show, David Stuckenberg is running for president of the United States. And although you may not have heard of him, you may hear of him before too terribly long. His intent and what he believes is going to happen is that we're not going to get, I think this is his position, we're not going to get to 270 electoral votes for one candidate. So nobody's going to win the presidency through the Electoral College. And then things change. From that point forward, the Senate picks the president, and the House picks the VP. He thinks that's where we're headed. And he may be right, because if you remember, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is polling quite nicely. And if he should get into a debate with Trump or Biden or whoever these people that are that are running, he's going to be tough to beat. Should he get into a conversation or a debate that the people get to see, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., is going to fare quite nicely for a lot of people. So we have Stuckenberg and Eigel coming on coming up in the back half of the show. Stick around for that. There's a lot of information that I want to dissect in those conversations. But let's start with Tucker Carlson, Brett Weinstein. I'm going to tie a bunch of facts together so if you are if you're if you have the opportunity to listen for 2 hours, I urge you to pay attention to what I have to tell you cuz this is going to blow your mind, I think. Clip number six,
0: five. Go. So you're saying that an international health organization could just end the First Amendment in the United States? Yes. And in fact, um, as much as this sounds, I know that it sounds preposterous. But it does the, not sound preposterous. <laughs> the ability to do it is currently under discussion at the international level. and. It's almost impossible to exaggerate how troubling what is being discussed is. In fact, I think it is fair to say that we are in the middle of a coup, that we are actually facing the elimination of our national and our personal sovereignty.
1: What he's talking about, and I have reported on this many times, there is a global He calls it a cord, but it's a global treaty where nations of the world would sign on to this treaty and turn over their sovereignty in a public health emergency through the United Nations and nations that sign up to it. So the United Nations would take over authority and begin to tell you what medicines you have to take. If you don't take these medicines, you can't travel. It restricts medicines. It takes over your system through a treaty. And everybody goes, well, that's just crazy. That can never happen. But if you look through this and you hear the chatter and rumors going around out there in the universe, and if you watched what happened through COVID, these are things that we should be aware of. And if you're not paying attention, these are the kind of things that can happen. So let me quickly uh, explain how I see this. This treaty signs over all of your constitutional rights. It could be climate change. It could be a pandemic. It could be a whole host of things. This would go down in May of 2024. That's when it's going to go down. So do you think the Biden administration is an administration that you would trust? When you look at your sovereignty now, do you think you have sovereignty when you have millions of people flooding your border? Does it make any sense that that is happening? And when you pay attention to all these people flooding our border, ask yourself why? What is the reason? A lot of people think it's replacement theory, that we want voters to come in. Maybe that's the case. I doubt it because I think the elections are manipulated to begin with. Could it be that these people are coming here as almost like slaves? you got to remember, according to our own Congress, 80 to 100,000 kids have crossed the border, went to sponsors in quotation marks. No callback. We don't know where they are. We don't know who has them. And this is happening within your borders, in your country. Nobody talks about it. Nobody seems to care. It continues on. Evil is a real thing, it's something that people have to understand. Before they can digest all the information that is before them, because everybody wants to believe it's just incompetence. Joe Biden is a moron. He can't put thoughts together. He can't think he can't react. He, does, he has no idea what he's doing. And I would say that I somewhat agree with that, but I don't think Joe Biden has anything to do with anything. And I don't think most rational people believe that Joe Biden is running the country. He's just the front man. He's the crappy lead singer. It's a very scary situation when the bureaucracy, a shadowy figure behind the scenes, runs your country. And people are just going on about their lives knowing something weird is happening, but having no idea how to get out of it. We can get out of it. There was a movie one time, and I can't remember the name, but it was a a Nazi guard that had been captured. And he, uh, this team comes from the United States to get this guy because he was a Nazi doctor and they wanted to hold him accountable for atrocities. And they're holding him, they're holding him prisoner and he's got handcuffs on, he's tied up. And he says, you know why the Jews were so easy? You know why it was so easy to get them into the concentration camps? We would have one guard with a gun and 150, 250, 1,000, I forget the number that he used, would walk willingly one guy with a gun. He said if 10 or 15 people would run at that person and overtake them, it would have saved hundreds if not thousands of lives. But not one person had the courage to stand up and take them on. So they all marched willingly to their own deaths. That's the kind of situation we're in now. Too many people are afraid to explain what's going on, stand up, organize, and demand that their government do as they wish. Make sure we have free elections. Make sure the election system is reliable, something you have confidence in, but they don't. And I want to get back to this because I'm going to tie some things together for you because the next thing I'm going to bring into it is a company called NewsGuard. All of these things tie together, and I don't want to make it too complicated, so I'm going to keep it nice and slow for you. Back to Brett Weinstein. This is the conversation with Tucker Carlson, and this is Tedros. The Tedros, he is the um, uh, runs the World Health Organization for the United Nations. Now, he went out with a statement because all of the peoples of the world are starting to get hip to this treaty, and they're starting to push back. And he goes on and gives them the explanation that says, you're not going to lose your sovereignty. Don't worry about it. Now, Tedros, if you know anything about him, he's not to be trusted. He's not a good guy. He's not on your side. But he goes on and says, don't worry about it. Everybody, Everybody's laws will be... Uh, satisfied if you will. There's nothing to worry about here. It's just a treaty and we will abide by everybody's, each nation's laws. But here's Tedros explaining the pandemic accord from the United Nations. Clip number 6-1. Ready? Go. We continue to see misinformation on
2: social media and in mainstream media about the pandemic accord that countries are now negotiating. The claim that the Accord will cede power to WHO is quite simply false. It's fake news. Countries will decide what the Accord says, and countries alone. And countries will implement the Accord in line with their own national laws. No country will cede any sovereignty to WHO. If any politician, business person, or anyone at all is confused about what the pandemic accord is and isn't, we
1: would be more than happy to discuss it and explain it. Oh, he's going to explain it for you. All right. Let me recap because I know it gets complicated and I want people to follow along here. If you're, if you're listening and you can pay attention to this, it's very important that people understand this is happening so we can start to ask our politicians in power. What are you going to do? How are you going to make people aware of it? In May of 2024, It is very possible the United States of America will sign on to a uh, U.N. treaty that would sign our sovereignty over to the United Nations in the event of a public health emergency. And the things they're talking about are, first of all, they don't even define what a public health emergency is. So that's kind of smeared in, but they could mandate remedies is the way it's worded. So they can mandate vaccines, they can mandate any kind of medicine, they can mandate, and they use the word, gene therapy technologies, they can dictate your travel, so if you don't take whatever medicines they prescribe for you, globally, this is a global thing, this is not just the United States, they will take away your ability to travel. Doesn't that sound very familiar as to what was going on during COVID? Didn't it sound like it may be a, a, a trial balloon? For when COVID was going on, doesn't sound like a trial balloon for what they have in store for you. May of 2024. We don't have a lot of time, and nobody even knows that it's happening. Kudos to Tucker Carlson and Brett Weinstein for bringing it to people's attention. They could forbid medications. How many times have I talked about what went down with COVID? My wife is a nurse. I know this for certain. They took people's ability to heal themselves when they had a respiratory disease Call it COVID-19, call it whatever you want. Doctors could not prescribe hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, horse paste, if you remember the media. Very reliable drugs you could not get during COVID. And you have to think about that. People died because the government that they trusted wouldn't allow them to have medications that could have potentially fixed the problem that they had. You had to go home and turn blue, come into the hospital, get on a respirator, take remdesivir, and die. That was the plan. That's a great plan. That's your government hard at work. Let me play this next clip for you. Because this is the censorship angle. This is a very scary situation. They want to, and this will tie into NewsGuard. Remember, I keep—I'm going to talk about NewsGuard a lot in the second segment, but I want to play this clip. Clip number
0: six, two, go. Um, this is actually the Department of Homeland Security actually issued a memo um, in which it defined three kinds of—I kid you not—terrorism, misdis and malinformation, misinformation are errors. Uh, disinformation are intentional errors, lies, and malinformation are things that are based in truth, but cause you to distrust authority. <laughs> so you hear Tucker Carlson starting to laugh. These are things that are going down and as crazy
1: and as Orwellian as you may believe that it is, they're going to call you a terrorist. If they determine that you have misinformation was is information you just get wrong disinformation, which is intentional information that they deem wrong. And malinformation, which is just information that causes, they may, it may be true, but it causes distrust in your government. Think about that. These are real things that are happening. It sounds so insane that I know nobody wants to believe it, but it's real. And that's why Tucker Carlson had Brett Weinstein on to explain it to people. Very serious situation. We're going to talk a little bit more about it. And then we're going to get into, uh, this is really crazy, NewsGuard. Stick around and we'll explain it We'll be right back
3: The Rock Carter Show
4: We get these pills to swallow SR1 on Sundays The Rock Carter Show
1: I'll oh, let that play a little bit, Phil I'm break up the serious uh, conversation we're having. Honey, I'll be home in a little bit. All right. <laughs> FYI, everybody. I don't even think I brought it up in the first segment, which is crazy because I love shameless plugs. I have decided, along with News Talk STL, that my new show will be from 8 to 10 o'clock beginning January the 29th. So we're going to have a daily show, 8 to 10 o'clock. That'll allow me to slow down get all the information that I want, be able to talk about things in long form. Going to be a lot of information. I'm going to try to make it as entertaining and as enlightening as I possibly can. But January 29th, it'll be called The Rob Show after my podcast, my original podcast. It'll be The Rob Show, 8 to 10 o'clock, every night, beginning January 29th. Mark it on your calendar, don't miss it, or I'll hate you. All right, let me get back into this immediately. We were talking about the Pandemic treaty that nations around the world are going to sign on to. And we, it comes up for vote here apparently in May of 2024. And I just, it amazes me that nobody knows that this is happening. That's what scares me. It always frightens me when big, big, big things that will affect your life and generations onward that we don't even know about, there's no media attention. Nobody has any idea that it's happening. And as I've said many times on this show, you got to be careful of the World Economic Forum. That's where the money's coming from. And the United Nations, an unelected body of criminals and thieves. At least that's my opinion. I want to get to this clip right away. And then we're going to get into NewsGuard. If you've never heard of NewsGuard, I think I'm breaking a story here because I'm tying some things together. Apparently this Brett Weinstein and Tucker Carlson interview caught a lot of people's attention. Because of this pandemic treaty and people not knowing about it, if you signed up for Tucker Carlson TCN on X, if you're interested, I think it's $6.99 a month, they're starting to break some stories that are meaningful. Not Fox News stories, not CNN stories, not a bunch of distracted nonsense entertainment news that never ties anything together for you really just gives you just bits and pieces of a puzzle that you can never put together that's what that is I always say you're you're gonna be lost if you watch that stuff and think it's news you're just never gonna get to the truth if you're curious about the truth you got to be able to tie many many different narratives together and make sense of them all here is the way Brett Weinstein described the powers that be no longer care about the consent of the governed clip number six three.
0: Go. Um, I'm sad to report that I think the West has actually collapsed, and what we are left with is now um, a nebulous echo. The values of the West still function, but they function um, in a vague way, and we have seen that they can evaporate quickly under the right circumstances. Um, I suspect, and I really don't know, I don't think anybody knows, Um, but I suspect that some powerful set of forces has decided that, um, consent of the governed is too dangerous to tolerate and that it has begun to unhook it. And we do not know how this works. We can see some of the partners who are involved in this, but I don't think we know ultimately who's driving it or where they're going.
1: Doesn't that make sense to people who are paying attention? You feel like you just don't know where the country is going anymore. Your security, your financial security, your mental well-being, the education of your kids, the safety in your cities, all of these things are now in doubt. And you're just a little uncomfortable with what's going on. But you're not sure why it's happening. You're not sure where the country is going. And it creates anxiety. It creates fear. And it creates, it keeps you sitting on your hands. It's a demoralization tactic. You no longer know where life is heading. And that uncertainty is very disturbing to a lot of people. So the more you know, I say it all the time on this show, I'm going to say it one more time. So long as you are aware, then you don't have to be afraid. The fear comes from not knowing what's going on. My kids, when they were walking home from school, when they were eight, nine years old and they'd come home from school, we lived right on top of the school, so they had to walk about a half a mile. And we were nervous for them to be on their own for the first time and walking in you know, even walking the half a mile, great neighborhood. There was nothing really to be alarmed about, but we wanted them to be safe when they walked home. And we told them all the things that could happen. Don't talk to strangers, this and that and the other. And I said, look, when you're coming home, you have to keep your head about you. You have to look around. You have to walk in a group. You have to know what's going on because you have to be aware of your surroundings. Fear and anxiety happen when you don't pay attention to what's going on in your world. That's where this country is at. They don't know what to believe. They don't know what to think. They don't know what is real information, what is fake. They can't tie anything together. So now they're just floating around in the ocean with no no idea where the boat's going to take them. That can change if you just pay attention to the proper information and get involved in your community, in your government. Pay attention to what's happening. This is the last clip I want to play from that Brett Weinstein and Tucker Carlson clip, our Tucker Carlson interview. He's talking about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and a speech that he gave, I believe it was in Memphis. I played this clip of Robert F. Kennedy on my show, but here's Brett Weinstein explaining it because he's going through some turmoil in his life for speaking out. Much the way I have. I've told this story before. When I was in Los Angeles, when I started my podcast and I started talking about things that were very uncomfortable for people, I got censored on all of the social media networks, and bizarre things started to happen to me. And as I would explain to friends and family these things that were happening, I think they thought I was crazy. I said, what do you mean? I mean, I'm telling you these things are happening. I'm not making it up. So I was out in Los Angeles, and I'm getting a call from a 314 area code all the time. And every, every time I answered it, the voice on the other, it was an automated voice, and it would say, hey, Rob, it's time to go home. And be safe. It's time to go home and be safe. So, when you get a call, you know, you're doing a podcast that's kind of outing the CIA and the FBI and you're talking about COVID being a con job and all of these different things. Then you start getting these automated calls. It's a little unsettling. So, I'm in there with some colleagues of mine, uh, people that I worked with out in Los Angeles, and I'm telling the story to them. And they're like, really? And I could tell they weren't 100% sure I was telling the truth for some reason, which is kind of crazy, but it just sounds so bizarre. They're like, You're getting automated phone calls telling you to go home and be safe. And I said, yeah. So we go out and we're standing in front of the office building that we worked at. Phone starts to ring. It's a 314 number that I don't recognize. And I said, hey, this might be it right here. And there were three friends with me. We were waiting for an Uber to take us back to the hotel after work. I hit the speaker button and I hit go on the phone. And sure enough, hey, Rob, it's time to go home and be safe. And you should have seen the look on these people's faces like, what in the world? And they didn't want to get in the Uber with me. We still joke about it to this day. So Brett Weinstein is now going through some of these things that are unsettling to him, and he starts to talk about he cannot keep quiet. He's not going to be chased off by fear. Him and his family understand what's happening. They think it's dangerous enough, the way the world is heading, that he's just going to, whatever happens, happens. And as he's talking about that, he says, I heard a speech from Robert F. Kennedy Jr., that resonated with him, and here's how he explains it. Clip number six,
0: four, go. You know, I, um, I heard a, a very good speech um, by Bobby Kennedy, Jr. Um, he, though neither of us are libertarians, he was at the uh, Liberty Conference in, in Memphis, and the last thing he said in that speech um, struck me to my core. It's something uh, I've thought often and said almost never. But there are fates far worse than death.
1: Fates far worse than death. And it's exactly how I look at it. Everybody that I know that's in this political arena trying to take on the establishment, trying to correct all, the, all of the lies that the government has been telling us, it's unsettling. It really is. I'm not afraid. I don't know that other people are afraid or not, but there's something different that goes on when you know that you're you feel like your phone is being tracked. I was just at this Freedom Caucus, Missouri Freedom Caucus. It's a franchise that Jim Jordan has going on. Eleven states now have this Freedom Caucus. So I was there the other day. It was down on Main Street in St. Charles, and they were having a press conference to announce that the Freedom Caucus has been organized here in Missouri. And this woman comes up to me and she starts talking about I recognized me and started talking to me and brought another friend in. And she starts talking about child trafficking going on in Missouri and has all kinds of information that she wants to share with me. So as we started to begin the conversation, she starts talking about how she's being tracked and how she's got her local sheriff involved. When you start to get serious about this situation and you make a fuss, it gets odd. Your world gets much more bizarre than you can imagine. And it's real. It's not a joke. So that's going on right here in this country to normal everyday citizens who just want to exercise their First Amendment constitutional right to say, hey, what's going on here? Let's get this government back in order. Let's protect our constitutional rights so that we can have a nice life in the freest nation ever devised by man. Now I want to get into NewsGuard, because now that you have the story with Tucker Carlson and Brett Weinstein about the pandemic treaty from the United Nations, I want to bring your attention to the story of NewsGuard. I first got wind of it by a guy named Mike Benz. Uh, he's a cybersecurity expert and he's out on X. And then I started looking into it. I tell everybody when I get information, I don't run with it until I check it out. So I start checking out NewsGuard. Let me read right off of their website here. This is the NewsGuard website. This is what it says they are the most comprehensive data set of provably false narratives online purpose built for misinformation detection at scale. It's an AI operation to single out misinformation. If you know what misinformation means when there's government entities involved, and I'm gonna tell you who's involved in this operation, in a minute, that's gonna blow your mind even further. NewsGuard is a real problem. Remember I told you that, because we're gonna break it here. If you haven't heard of it before, you're gonna hear about NewsGuard from me moving forward because these are the kind of things that get, this is what gets people in trouble. NewsGuard's global team of misinformation, this is right off their website. NewsGuard's global team of misinformation analysis maintain the internet's most complex machine-readable catalog of top false claims circulating online. The misinformation fingerprints can be used as unique identifiers to seed AI, ML tools, that search for content containing myths and disinformation claims across the internet and social media, and then it goes on. This is an AI system being implemented by some of the most powerful people on the planet Earth globally to detect misinformation, which if you recognize what happened through COVID, that means they're identifying the truth. They're going to algorithm it so you can't spread the truth, and they're going to control the narrative. Check this out. So the founders of NewsGuard are Gordon Kravitz. Let me spell this for you. Gordon, and then his last name is C-R-O-V-I-T-Z. He was the publisher of the Wall Street Journal and and a VP of Dow Jones. The other guy is, and he's from Yale, Stephen Brill is his partner and co-founder, also from Yale. He was the founder of Court TV. These are the founders of NewsGuard. Now let me read who the investors are. One of the investors is the Knight Foundation, K-N-I-G-H-T, Knight Foundation, uh, founded by a guy named Alberto Alberguin, went to Columbia, one of my club schools. One of the other investors is a company called Publicis. I guess that's how it's uh, pronounced. P-U-B-L-I-C-I-S. It's a French company the third largest advertising and PR firm in the world. The next investor is a guy named Tom Glosser, spelled G-L-O-C-E-R, former Reuters executive, also from Yale. This company is based in New York City. And the Advisors, these are the Advisors to NewsGuard. Check out these names, see if they ring a bell with you. Former Homeland Security Secretary Tom Ridge, now, you remember Homeland Security, I believe, came about after 9-11 under the CIA king, the Bush family. Tom Ridge is from Harvard. The next guy that's involved is Richard Stengel. He's an advisor. Richard Stengel went to Princeton, and he was the Undersecretary of State right here in the United States. So we have Homeland Security and a guy that was the former Undersecretary of State, Richard Stangle, who went to Princeton. Then we have Michael Hayden, former director of the NSA, former director of the CIA, four-star general, CNN analyst, and a member of the Atlantic Council. You talk about a guy that is connected to the intelligence agencies that is not to be trusted. Nobody who goes on CNN as an analyst from the CIA should ever be trusted. And There's a couple more that I'm going to get to. I'm going to run out of time in this segment, so we're going to finish up NewsGuard. You've got to pay attention to the news guard story. The idea is to use AI to control the narrative, so your truth becomes a lie, and they can sell the lie as the truth. Segment number three. We're gonna get right back into it. We'll be right back.
3: The Rob Carter Show. The Rob Carter Show.
1: All right, everybody, welcome back. I got to finish this. uh, I want to finish this story about NewsGuard. I think this information is disturbing, to say the least. I'm always worried about a digital situation that you get trapped within. One of the things that Brett Weinstein and Tucker Carlson said, if you heard the first segment, was that Benny, former I think he was a former intelligence guy, he said the way the system works moving forward. I think he was around the '90s, William Benny, if I'm not mistaken. He said that they will put the uh, digital trap around you. In essence, they'll build it all around you. You'll watch them build it. So just imagine you're in a, you're standing still, and they're building a prison around you. They build it as you're watching it. And then right before you can do anything about it, they implement it. This is a guy that was in intelligence for us and tried to give, give everybody the information as to what was coming down the line. That's why things like NewsGuard and these pandemic treaties, you got to pay attention to them. You've got to pay attention to the things that really matter. These are the things you're not going to get on Fox News. Fox News is to make sure that you're distracted by Epstein stories and BS stories so you don't understand The digital fence that's being built around you, built around you. Because NewsGuard, is. these are very powerful people. NewsGuard, once again, founders, Gordon Kravitz, Stephen Brill, investors are Knight Foundation, Tom Glosser from uh, Reuters. These are all Yale, Columbia, Harvard people. This is the club that I talk about. These are the most powerful people in the world. This is where the money comes from. These are the people you have to pay attention to because they're not always on the side of righteousness, if you understand what I'm saying. So let me go through the advisors for NewsGuard one more time. Because this just, when I saw who the advisors were, this really freaks me out. Because what NewsGuard can do is they use algorithms to find narratives and squash your ability to spread those narratives. They call it misinformation, disinformation, whatever they want to call it. And they were able to go into all of your social media sites, all of your uh, any from inform- any articles online through publications, and make it so that you can't spread that information, because in their estimation, it's a lie, it's misinformation, and they need to protect you from that misinformation. That's the way they sell it. It's always the opposite of what they sell. If they're trying to keep you from uh, receiving misinformation and disinformation. What they're really trying to do is keep you from the truth. It's always backwards. It's always inverted, if you haven't noticed. And here are the advisors once again former Homeland Security Secretary Tom Ridge from Harvard, Richard Stengel, Under Secretary of, of State from Princeton, Michael Hayden, former director of NSA, former director of the CIA. Four-star general, CNN analyst, and member of the Atlantic Council. All of these things are intelligence operations. And why would we need? Why would we need AI to squash free speech? Why would we need to do that? Why couldn't we just hash this out the way American citizens want to hash it out? It doesn't make any sense, especially when you saw what happened with COVID. They restricted the truth. If you just remember the Twitter files, the FBI and the intelligence agencies were squashing the truth about COVID while the media apparatus sold you a lie. It's gonna be 100% effective. It's gonna be 95% effective. It's gonna be 90% effective. It's gonna be 70% effective. The vaccines are going to be 50% effective. Then they're not going to be effective at all. It's going to be just it's going to, not going to be as bad if you take it. Now it doesn't work at all and you got the hospitals filled with blood clots and turbo cancer. So it went from it's going to be 100% effective to it might kill you. That's your government at hard at work for you. The next guy is a guy named Anders Rasmussen. He's from Denmark. He is the former NATO chief. He's also a part of the Boston Consulting Group, and I've mentioned them before in other shows. I don't want to get into it here. And the last guy is Jimmy Wales? Jimmy Wales, if you don't know that name, is the founder of Wikipedia. This is where people go for information. And if you haven't figured it out, Wikipedia is woke, very woke. His wife is a name a woman named Kate Garvey. She is in the she works for the United Nations in sustainable development. <laughs> you know what that's all about. These are people that are in the club that pull the wool over people's eyes. And sell them lies all over the place. As I was looking this up. If you just go to Wikipedia. And look up Brett Weinstein. He is described as a guy. Who was spreading misinformation about COVID. They don't say that CNN was spreading misinformation. They don't say that Darth Fauci. Was spreading misinformation. It doesn't say that Donald Trump. Was spreading misinformation. It doesn't say that Joe Biden was spreading misinformation. It doesn't say that Sam Page was spreading misinformation. It says that Brett Weinstein, who said that ivermectin was a, uh, was effective in helping people with COVID-19, the respiratory disease, he's the spreader of misinformation. I mean, you can't make it up. But you have millions of people who have no idea what's going on in the world that listen to these media narratives And act upon them. You still have people getting boosters for COVID in this world. If you watch a football game on ESPN, it is, it's Pfizer. It's actually a Pfizer movie interrupted by football. We are one of only two countries that allow the drug companies to advertise on television. On planet Earth. Shouldn't that scare people? If we said the Sinaloa drug cartel was doing commercials during the football game, people would freak out. But if it comes in pill form, it's no big deal. Despite the fact that we sold oxycotton to teenagers, it's killed three people in my family. COVID didn't kill anybody, but oxycotton did. And we had doctors prescribing oxycotton. one of the most addictive drugs it's synthetic heroin and you could be 18 years old bust your knee up playing soccer and the doctor's go, hey let me give you some synthetic heroin that'll take the pain away oh yeah it'll take the pain away all right and then 50 percent of the people that take it get addicted and six months later they're out on the street doing heroin and you don't even recognize them because their soul has been stolen from them those are the drug companies that our government seems to think are doing just fine and they sell them all day on your television sets. And nobody seems to understand it. Nobody seems to want to put a stop to it. Nobody seems to care. And it is flat out sickening. Let me transition over to these things I want to talk about here. Joe Biden gave a speech recently. And I don't normally even bring up Joe Biden. I think Joe Biden is a despicable, despicable human being. And I think he's been despicable for four decades. Ever since I watched him come on the scene, I've been paying attention to Joe Biden. He is a buffoon. He is a con artist. And he's not a good one. I like a good con artist every now and again. They're hard to figure out. You do not have to be a brain surgeon to figure out that Joe Biden is a con artist. It's absurd that he would, that anybody would think that he got 81 million legal votes. It's so dumb that you have to talk to people about it. It's ridiculous. Everybody knows that that election was manipulated. It's flat-out impossible that this moron got 81 million votes. But I digress. I want to just show you the hypocrisy and the danger of having a bureaucracy and a shadowy government running your country, because you and I know that Joe Biden is not running this country. This is clip number 5-1, and he says that he released many prisoners, and I somewhat agree with him here, for nonviolent crimes. Listen to this, and then I'm going to show you – our. I'll have you listen to another clip where he's bragging about just the opposite of what he says in the first clip, clip number five, one, Biden talking about not not letting people out of prison because they did not commit a nonviolent crime. Check this out.
2: Nobody should be in jail for a nonviolent crime. As when we were in the White House, we released 36,000 people from the federal prison system.
1: Okay. so he's bragging about letting people out of prison for uh, if they did not commit a nonviolent crime. That's your hero, Joe Biden. Now this is clip number 5-2, where he's talking about January 6th. Now listen to the different tone here from our lovely and kind-hearted President of the United States, Joe Biden. Check this out. The violence of January the 6th. And since that day,
2: more than 1,200 people have been charged for their assault on the Capitol. Nearly 900 of them have been convicted or pled guilty. Collectively to date... They have been sentenced to more than 840 years in prison. What's Trump done? Instead of calling them criminals, he's called these these insurrectionists patriots. They're patriots. And he promised to pardon them if he returns to office. Trump said that there was a lot of love on January the 6th. The rest of the nation, including law enforcement, saw a lot of hate and violence. One Capitol Police officer called it a medieval battle.
1: A <laughs> medieval battle. <laughs> That's my that. favorite. Me too. I mean, Joe Biden is a despicable human being. If anybody should be in prison, it should be Joe Biden and his, uh, his drug addict son, who's doing porn videos that everybody can watch, collecting money all over the world for selling favor in the United States, selling out our country. Scumbags absolute and total scumbags that's what they are and I don't care what anybody thinks that's exactly what the Biden administration is a group of scumbags now the question is if we get rid of Joe Biden somehow some way in this rigged election system that we have who's coming to replace him most people on the right would say Donald Trump let me tell you what I think is going to go on with Donald Trump now pay attention to me closely because I've said this many times before I listened to every word, every single word that Donald Trump said leading up to the 2016 election, and I followed him like a starry-eyed schoolgirl from 216 to 220. I know what the man was preaching. I know what he was selling to people. All of it. I wasn't a casual observer. I I I was a journalist with journalistic ideas, journalistic credentials now, paying attention to what the man was selling to his adoring MAGA fans. And I can tell you for 100% certainty, the vast majority of the things that he said he was going to do, he made a 180 on very quickly after he got in office. And because because he is positioned as the enemy of the Democrats, Nobody on the right seems to recognize it. And if you believe like I do, that the entire premise of our government is to keep us fighting, it makes perfect sense. The left and the rhinos are taking us in the same direction. They're just doing it in a different manner. Somebody has to recognize what is happening here. And I want to play this clip for you because Ron DeSantis, I believe that his role is to take down Donald Trump with his own words. This is the first ad that I've seen like this, and I've talked about it at length on this show. Once people see these things, and once De- uh, DeSantis, who's got a lot of money, another Harvard-Yale guy, he's got a role to play, he is going to start putting out these ads one after another. You're going to start to see them all over social media, and then they're going to come onto television, and it's certainly going to make you question Donald Trump. The reason I say he's he's got to answer questions Donald Trump has got to answer these questions or he is going to be savaged by Ron DeSantis this is clip number five six this is a this is a Twitter slash X ad by Ron DeSantis exposing Donald Trump clip number five six go
4: I'm tired of the excuses. <laughs> from our lame politicians. Should you have fired Fauci? So a lot of people asked me that question, and I did it right, because if you do fire him, you're going to have a firestorm on the left again, as usual. So when these lightweights come up to me and they say, you can't get Mexico to pay for the wall. Well, you know, there was no legal mechanism because I said they're going to help fund this wall, but there was no legal mechanism. You know, how do you go to a country and say, by the way, I'm building a wall, and us a lot of money. We keep electing the same people who can... Keep making the same mistakes and who keep offering the same old tired excuses
0: you actually gave him a presidential commendation before you left office wouldn't you like a do-over on that
4: Uh, I don't know who gave him the accommodation. I really don't know who gave him the accommodation. Everything I say, I can do. Everything I say, I will abide by. Birthright citizenship. You made this promise back in 16 and then you didn't do it once elected. And then as president, you kept saying you were gonna sign an executive order on this and you didn't. Because the lawyers didn't want me to do it because the lawyers were saying you have to go through a whole big thing all over the country. You need votes of every state and everything else. I'm tired of being told that it can't be done. Was it a mistake to put Christopher Ray there? He was recommended very strongly by Chris Christie. And other people wanted Christopher Ray, and people from the other side wanted
1: Christopher Ray. It is uh, very disturbing, if you're a Donald Trump fan, that his opposition can run an ad where he's contradicting himself over and over and over again. Hour number two, we're going to get into some local politics. Stick around, we'll be right back. The Rob Carter Show. Oh, let the sun beat down upon my
4: face. Stars my SR1 Sundays. The Rob Carter Show. <laughs>
1: All right, everybody, welcome back. Hour number two, headed your way. I got to slow down now just a little bit. I I always worry that when I overload a show with information, it's going to be very difficult to digest. Makes me very nervous. But when I get into these things, I just want to, it's almost like I want to just puke it up and see how much people can handle. That's a nice analogy. You like that? Oh, really? So what I, I want to remind you, if you're in your car or you're listening on your computer and you want to hear it all again because you're like, well, that was a lot of information. Let me write that down if you're a little investigator. We put the show out right after this version, and then you can go to Rumble, R-U-M-B-L-E, R-U-M-B-L-E.com, seek out S-R-1 and or Rob Carter, and you can hear the whole show again. It's very important that you guys start to understand this information, I believe. I think these are the narratives that we, had if we had, a, if we had a real press that was holding power accountable, that really wanted you to know what was going on, this is the kind of news that they would cover in and out. Because they would be protecting you from losing your constitutional rights. That's what the press is supposed to be all about. I say it all the time. The press is there to hold power accountable. And if it is being discussed that they want to take your constitutional rights away under the guise of a public health emergency organized through the United Nations, don't you think you should be aware? So when Brett Weinstein went on with Tucker Carlson, and then you combine that with what I was telling you about NewsGuard, you're talking about a situation where if the pandemic treaty is signed by the United States and you lose your constitutional rights due to a public health emergency. And then you have companies like NewsGuard, where some of the most powerful people in our government have an AI tool that squashes your ability to spread information about what's actually happening. You can understand the situation in the future where you're being sold lies continually. And anybody that wants to tell the truth They can squash it. Now what do you do? Because you know where the press is at. The press works for Pfizer. The press works for the military contractors, and so do the politicians, if you haven't noticed. Especially up there in D.C., that hornet's nest. Not good. So pay attention to the U.N. public health treaty, the pandemic treaty, that's coming down the pipeline in May of 2024. Be aware. Let your friends know. It's no joke, very sinister situation, taking shape, that you need to be aware of. And then look up on Wikipedia, look up News Guard, and see what's going down there. Now, let me move over to some local politics. Last week, I filled in the daytime show for Colombo and Katie on this very station. Right before I went on Friday... The Freedom Caucus here in Missouri had a press conference down on Main Street. We have any of that for Bob Seeger? Down on Main Street in St. Charles, headed by former Speaker of the House Tim Jones and 11 Freedom Caucus members. These are the people that say they are true conservatives. And I had several of them on my show. But as they were doing this press conference, it was freezing cold outside. Everybody was had their teeth chattering. And you had Bill Igel and Nick Schroer, uh, Jill Carter, uh, several representatives that are teaming together to shed light on conservative values that are not being implemented by our overwhelmingly Republican government here in Missouri. As they say, we keep voting for conservative ideas in Missouri and they don't come to fruition why is that? These people want to shed light on it. I think you should pay attention to it. Bill Eigel spoke last. And like I said before, he, he <laughs> I even said to some people that were there, he was able to read the crowd. Because he was the last one in a 45-minute speech, and it was probably 35 degrees and windy. It was cold. So he gave a very short speech, and then we moved into a uh, moved in inside, and everybody began talking about what the Freedom Caucus initiatives were. So I want to get into Bill Igel. We talked about it last week. We had, had a long interview with him. He's running for governor. He's up against Jay Ashcroft and the Ashcroft family and Mike Kehoe. And he wants to position himself as the most conservative person running for governor. That's where he wants to position himself. Freedom Caucus, Trump guy. We went through several questions with him last week and we didn't get to the social issues. So this week I want to I want to bring you his opinion on some social issues that will uh they'll be discussed as we move toward a governor of Missouri. Again, I say, if you're listening to me, the most important thing that we have to get accomplished is a Election system that we can trust. Before I get into Bill Igel, I'm going to, I just have to beat this home. I'm going to do it every chance I get. If you do not have confidence in your elections, nothing else matters. If you cannot vote your way out of a situation, you're not a free people. Even if the elections are 100% on the up and up. If half or more than half of the people don't have confidence in them, it doesn't work. And all you got to do is look how the elections are being run, and you know they're ripe with fraud. Bill Igel says that 51,000 illegal immigrants are in the state of Missouri that we know of right now. Can they vote? Is it possible? We have voting machines that, if AI is real, and is as real as we think it is, Should we believe that it's impossible that machines can be manipulated? What about tabulators? These are things that just have got to be addressed. So when you're in front of your politicians, when you're going to those fundraisers, don't ask if they're going to fix the election system. Demand it. Call your elected representative and say, we want to make sure that we get you voted back in. We want you to be our new Congressperson. but we can't do it if we don't have trust in our election system. The number one priority in America right now, above all other issues, is to have an election system that we can trust, period. Everything moves from there. Once you know you're getting what you voted for, now we can talk about social issues. Now we can talk about the border. Now we can talk about everything. But you can't do it if the people are being selected, not elected. You know it and I know it, so let's get to it. Election integrity is a must. Now, I want to get into the social issues and the conversation I had with Bill Eigel. And in the very last segment, we're going to get to David Stuckenberg. He's running for president. Very accomplished guy. Uh, Started a company called Genesis Systems. As he says, it turns air to water. Because there's a water shortage around the world. So this is no dummy. Military guy, major. Advisor to uh, presidents. Advisor to very powerful people in this world. So I want you to hear what he has to say. Because even if you believe there's no way in the world David Stuckenberg, I've never heard of him. He couldn't possibly be president. He believes that the election will not be won on election day. I believe he is in the same camp as Robert F. Kennedy Jr. We're not going to get... The winner are the, the, the two main candidates. Neither one will get to 270 electoral votes. And then from that point forward, everything changes. So just remember that. If that starts to take shape, remember where you heard it first. Here is Bill Igel talking about abortion. And then I want to throw my two cents in on what he has to say. So I asked him about abortion. He's one of the co-sponsors, co-sponsors of the heartbeat bill. Check this out. Clip number seven.
3: Go. Yes, so uh, I'm 100% pro-life. I was actually co-sponsor of the heartbeat bill uh, that actually ended abortion in the state of Missouri. Every vote that I've taken has been in support of uh, the pro-life cause. And my personal uh, description of how I I see this issue is I believe all life is precious. Uh, I believe that any time you have an opportunity to protect life, you ought to do it. Uh, Unlike Mike Kehoe, I'm not looking to create more exceptions to the heartbeat bill in the state of Missouri. I'm not looking to make more room for abortion to make a comeback in the show me state like specifically what Mike Kehoe was calling for. Uh, And unlike Jay Ashcroft, I've actually taken votes on this issue. I'm the only person that has a 100% 100 voting record on the pro-life issue. And that is, you know, if we talk about protecting rights, you know, the right to life is chief among them. Whenever I have an opportunity to protect life, whether it's in the abortion issue or otherwise, I'm gonna do it. Uh, I'm gonna be bold about that. And when we have an opportunity to be a national leader on this issue, I expect to see Missouri right there continuing that fight.
1: And do you think, are you concerned at all about this breaking up the Republican Party to where it might sway things (laughs) toward the Democrats? Is this a principal issue that you can get out there and you can persuade people. They're just like, yeah, you know, I just don't
3: want to lose on that issue. Well, no, I, I, I'm not worried about that at all. And I, I actually don't know that I have to convince anybody in the state of Missouri. And the reason I say that is because for the past more than 20 years, Missouri has been sending huge super majorities of pro-life Republicans down to Jefferson City. In fact, the issue of being pro-life was one of the main drivers of why Missouri went from going from being a blue state to a red state.
1: Now, I look at that issue and I say, I'm very concerned that that is an issue that will split voters in the Republican party. I'm not saying that he's not a principled guy and I'm not even saying that he's not right. Morally, I agree with him. I think abortion is something you have to be very concerned about. I think the killing of unborn babies is a very serious problem in America. I also understand the other side. I get it. You know, if you're somebody who doesn't have the same morality as I do or as Senator Bill Eigel has, you say, you can't tell me what to do with my body. That's a slippery slope as well. And I'll decide whether I want what I want to do with my body. You can certainly understand that argument. And I can tell you right now that suburban women, whether it be through education or culture or what have you, that's a big issue for them. That's a line in the sand. And we have to be aware of that. You do not want to lose you have to win. So that you can have the ball in your court, so you can begin the process of educating people and swaying them to your opinion. If you don't win, then it doesn't really matter. You can have ninety-nine issues that you're right on, but the one issue that can kill you is abortion. So you got to be aware of that. I just, I don't know what the answer to that is, but it concerns me because I talk to people. I talk to a lot of women, a lot of suburban in my family, even. But I talked to a lot of suburban women and young women under the age of 30. And the idea that the state would tell them they cannot have an abortion past heartbeat is a line in the sand for them. Scares me. Makes me nervous because I like Bill Eagle. I like where he's coming from. Um, I'm going to keep an eye on all of the things that he says and does. I'm coming at this as a journalist, not as a cheerleader. I love the idea that... Uh, He stands on principle, and I love the idea that he comes in and answers all the questions. I think that's one of the greatest attributes to Bill Igle, is that he's willing to stand on his ideas, have the conversation, have the debate, with no guardrails. He doesn't say, Rob, don't bring this up. I don't want to talk about that. It's, how long do you need? And go. That is the most attractive, that's the most attractive attribute of a leader I can I can give you, you got to be able to stand before people and answer questions. That is, it's imperative. If we're going to have a a government that you can trust, period just is the next thing I asked him about social issues was transition surgery with kids. Now, Jill Carter, she was, uh, she was in the freedom she was at the freedom caucus meeting and she said that teachers were trying to persuade young people to have transition surgery. And I thought, well, that's kind of crazy. I don't know if we can get through this entire clip or not, but this is his answer to how do we protect kids? What's your opinion on transition surgery for children under the age of 18? And here's how he answered.
3: So this is... If I had to give you a list of things that I thought I would have to fight for or fight against when I got into office one day, I never would have guessed this. You know, I mean, here we have these transgender surgeries and hormone therapies are some of the most barbaric procedures uh, invented by mankind that are being inflicted upon children and mutilating them for a lifetime. Uh, I don't know how anybody, doctor, parent, can look at those uh, procedures and see them as anything than what they are the barbaric mutilation of children who wh- even though most parents won't allow children to determine their bedtime, somehow a medical industry that is profiting from this destruction of kids has convinced them that they can change and choose their gender. So. I, this is one of those issues where there's no compromise on this issue. We're not going to let kids be harmed in this state. We're going to go after any institution, any organization that thinks it's okay to mutilate kids and put them into uh, what's been termed as permanent medicalization. I've met some of the, the survivors of these procedures and the stories are horrific. When I'm the governor of this state, We are gonna protect kids. We're gonna get rid of the sunset that was put on the law that we passed. That means that it was good in the sense that we're protecting kids for the next four years in this state, but we've gotta go and change that into something that's permanent.
1: Uh, I don't know what else to say to that other than I uh, 100% agree. It is unconscionable that we would be persuading children that don't know what's going on in the world at all that they can change their gender when they're 12 years old. It's just pure insanity. We're going to come back. I got a few more questions that I want you to hear the answers to from Bill Igel when we return. We'll be right back.
0: The Rob Carter Show.
4: The Rob Carter Show.
1: Oh, yeah, I remember that. That's perfect music for what we are going to talk about here first. CRT in our schools. Uh, This is something that I think is just so abhorrent. Anybody that is for it, you lost me. I'm sure I could be your friend, but it would be hard to understand where you're coming from. It would be hard to explain to me how teaching racism could possibly be good for society. It'd be very difficult for me to understand why kids would need to be divided and characterized based on the color of their skin and, as Martin Luther King said, not the content of their character. If you're listening to my show, you pay attention to content of character. That's who you are. Nobody that listens to me would think, you know what, I would give that person a job just because of the color of their skin. I would give them a little extra money or a little extra favor because of their sexuality. These things are 100% destructive and insane and being used to divide our culture, divide our families, divide society. Create an environment where we can no longer have unity. That's your government and that is your school system at work. So I asked Bill Igle what his plans were to eliminate DESE and CRT, critical race theory, pure insanity. Don't care what anybody has to say about it. You'll never convince me. I've had that conversation with too many people on the other side. I don't get it. I simply do not understand where you're coming from, but here's how Bill Igel answered the question about CRT.
3: Go. So how about on my first day as governor, I write an executive order to defund every one of the diversity, equity, inclusionary positions across state government to include uh, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, but to include every state department. Uh, let's defund the positions that are f- actually funding uh, state employees going around saying that this is okay. That's the first step. We can do that on day one, and I guess, really the question is, why hasn't Mike Parson done that? Right. We have Republicans in Jefferson City voting to preserve those dollars in the state budget, not going after them. So that's the first thing we're gonna do. The second thing we're gonna do is we're gonna stop taking all this money from the federal government in Washington, D.C., that is pushing the CRT, DEI standards, down on our local public school districts and using the Department of elementary elementary and secondary education, as the mechanism of the spread of this virus. And that's what it is. This mentality that you should judge someone based on the color of their skin or uh, think less of someone based on the color of their skin is a virus.
1: He mentioned money going to the schools from the federal government, and I really think that's the root cause of the problem. In 1980, when we instituted the Department of Education in D.C., from that point forward, you can watch our education system slowly go downward. It is federal money that addicts the politicians to institute policies against the will of the state of Missouri. It's money. It's cash money, baby. And I think everybody who understands the system recognizes it. Bill Igel certainly recognizes it. So how do we get a situation where we fund what we need to fund, And get the corrupt federal government that has an agenda that does not serve the will of the Missouri voter, how do we get them out of the equation? That is the question we should be asking ourselves. Too much money is being flooded into the state of Missouri from the federal government that influences how we, and I put this in quotation marks, teach our children. And all you have to do is recognize how propaganda—I recognize propaganda because I'm a branding guy. I've been in the brand-building business my entire adult life. You can convince people of just about anything if you teach it and preach it. If it's beat into your head, you don't even know why you believe it anymore. It just becomes a part of who you are. Why do you think McDonald's continues to sell commercials about the Big Mac? Do you think we don't know what a Big Mac is? You think we don't get it? But they know if you show it over and over and over again, there's going to be a time when you're driving by McDonald's and go, I think I want a Big Mac. It's branding. It is conditioning of the mind. And we should not allow it to happen to our children. It has got to stop. That's the line in the sand for me. Everybody has a line in the sand, but the line in the sand for me is if you want to teach racism to kids, I'm out. That's where I stop, because I don't think you can have a I don't think you can have a harmonic, is that the word I'm looking for? Society when you are teaching racism. Now, the next question I ask him I'm concerned about constitutional rights and government intrusion from DC into Missouri. If you don't know this, Gavin Newsom, he is positioning himself. If you remember he had the debate with Ron DeSantis, why nobody knows. But Gavin Newsom has his eyeballs on DC. And he is trying to get an amendment passed to regulate the second amendment down to where there is no second amendment. When you see your government actively trying to take away your constitutional rights, it should alarm you. So I said, what happens if a law is passed in DC that regulates your second amendment's second amendment constitutional rights so bad that you really can't own a gun? In Missouri, how would you handle the situation? Here's how we answered it.
3: So let's be candid about this. If the federal government ever comes into the border of the state of, of Missouri and tries to start confiscating firearms from uh, the hands of law-abiding citizens, uh, they're going to have a real problem. And I, and I think we're going to see a, a level of pushback that we maybe haven't seen in more than 100 years uh, in this country. Uh, that would I would consider that an invasion under Article 4 of the Constitution. Uh, and I would be on the front lines of stopping and doing everything that's necessary to prevent federal authorities from coming in uh, and trying to take away our rights like that. Now, there are some things, though, that we can can do right now uh, to push back on the federal influence and the federals, uh, the federals, uh, uh, federals in, in Washington, D.C. from uh, taking away our rights. I'll give you a couple examples. One, if we want to uh, make sure that we're in a good position to push back on the federal government, we've got to stop taking all this money into our state budget that's actually making us beholden to the federal government. You know, half of our state budget uh, is, is coming from the federal government, and when you're getting half of your money from somebody else, guess who's got the power right. in that relationship? So let's not put Missouri in a place to where uh, we're so vulnerable to the mandates and edicts coming out of Washington, D.C. that we fail to act with the day comes that they try to come to our borders and take away our guns. Uh, But there's also things that uh, we can do legislatively even before if it gets to that point. You know, I had a bill uh, last year that would have uh, prohibited the introduction of these so-called red flag laws in the state of Missouri, which are basically databases that are set up by uh, law enforcement agencies or government authority somewhere. And it's used to track firearms in this state. uh, And so the government can determine who should have a firearm right. and who shouldn't.
1: Now, here's the way I look at the red flag laws because he brought those up. If you have a benevolent government, if you have a government that you can trust, if you have a government that is trying to protect the citizenry, if it, that is really the truth, if you believe your government works on your behalf to that degree, then red flag laws may make sense. But we don't. We don't have that type of government. You can make an argument for any law that you can think of that could be beneficial to the citizens if you have a government that's got your best interest at heart. Our government doesn't. They just simply don't. You can see that everywhere. Their job is to control the border and they're bringing millions of people into this country illegally. During COVID you had to get a Vaccine to keep your job or travel. But if you cross the border illegally, you didn't have to get a vaccine. Why do you think that is? Does that make any sense to you? It doesn't make any sense to anybody. Next question for Governor Bill Eigel was about informing voters. Now, look, when you're a leader, you have to figure out how to solve problems. So the number one job that you have is, okay, here is the issue. How do I solve it? How do I get cooperation to solve these problems? And the thing that you have to do as a leader is inform the public. If you have a press that tries to squash information, what is plan B? How do you get to the millions of voters in Missouri and say, this is what I think is best. These are the people that are on the opposite side. I want to debate them, and I want the people of the Missouri to pay attention to it because it's going to affect how they live their lives and raise their families. How do you inform voters in Missouri? What is the best method? And have we thought of maybe having a a channel? Maybe Missouri sponsors a channel and you can go on there and have debates to where people can see it, kind of like a C-SPAN. I said, how is there a device? Is there a way that you can really inform Missouri voters continually so that they're informed about the issues? And here's how we answered the question.
3: Yeah, I think, so on one hand, instinctually, I think people uh, know that there's a lot going wrong. You know, instinctually they know that the state is stagnating. They know uh, that Republicans aren't doing what they said. That's why they're so angry when I go around and I talk to them. And uh, it manifests itself whether it's personal property tax or uh, what they're seeing on TV that Joe Biden's uh, trying to do, or what the news coming out of Colorado or New Mexico where you have uh, leftist forces that are uh, you know directly trying to take their rights. Uh, and and I've always said one of the most important uh, responsibilities of leadership, anyone who's in any le- leadership position, is to articulate. Uh, what a better tomorrow looks like. And part of articulating that better tomorrow has to do with uh, being able to talk about where we're at today. And so I've actually been engaged uh, for several years now uh, looking at the voting records of legislators down in Jefferson City. And I can tell you, uh, as the governor of this state, we're gonna keep that up. Uh, The Freedom Caucus is coming online and I think they're gonna do a great job uh, talking about who the good guys and who the bad guys are down in in Jefferson City. But we have a huge void in the governor's office right now. You know, you look at some of the biggest issues that we have dealt with as Republicans in Jefferson City the past couple years, whether it's the immigration issues we talked about earlier, whether it's the initiative petition reform or Cutting taxes. Where's our governor been? He's been absent. In fact, that on in almost the same time that Kansas City was announcing that assessments in Kansas City on regular property had gone up 35 percent, Mike Parson was on the radio thro- poking at guys like me, saying that Missouri was actually in one of the best places of any state in the union. That's how disconnected and out of touch our current Republican leadership is. Mike Kehoe and Jay Ashcroft will be a continuation of that out of touch status quo that is more about preserving power for the few versus actually helping folks that are struggling very much in this state. So, yes, I think you're going to see more folks as the grassroots forces in this state continue to coalesce around messages like what I'm talking about. I think that folks are going to come into the realization that there are very specific things that could be better, whether it's personal property tax or otherwise, if we had the right folks, right person or people in charge of this state. Yeah, I'd like a spotlight on the politicians. So everybody knows they're voting. We will name the names. I love naming the names. (coughs) About that. The fact he kind of dodged the question a little bit because he didn't really, he wasn't ready for it he didn't know he didn't know what to say because he hadn't really thought about it the way you were presenting it but just
1: coincidentally we were I'm going down to Jeff City to uh, build a studio in the in there in there so they will have we are going to be part of hopefully doing what it is you suggested which is continuously informing people as best we can what's happening so SR one's going to be a part of it Bill Eigel yeah. and I agree with you because I had Justin Sparks you know rep Justin Sparks who I really you know. You know, you get a good feel about people when you meet them. I like Justin Sparks. He's a former SWAT team officer, uh, six kids, beautiful family. uh, Just seemed like a great guy who wanted to have a nice conversation with me. He came into the studio um, on Friday, and I asked him the same question, and he had the same problem. Because you know, if you don't think of something in advance, and you get hit with a question, it's you want to answer it, but you really don't know how to answer it because you haven't thought through that issue because nobody ever brings it up. So I get it. And that's the reason I asked the question is because I wanted him to start thinking about it. I want all of these politicians in Missouri who are on the side of right. If you're on the side of right, you have to sell your message. You can't just say it. If nobody, It's like a tree falling in the woods. If nobody hears it, it doesn't, it doesn't make a sound. So if you're going to be a leader, you've got to make sure that your message is heard by all Missouri voters. You've got to make it possible for them to hear it. I don't think politicians understand that it is really tough out there. They may, some of them may, but it's a really tough world out there right now. you got corporate intrusion into your life. You have families that are split up through COVID and all kinds of different things that have happened over the uh, last few years. It's a tough time in, in Missouri, and it's a tough time in uh, in the United States. It's a tough time globally for uh, for, for the middle class. They're, they're struggling. So if you want to communicate to them, you got to have an apparatus to where you can communicate, where they can go to it at their own time, and say, you know, I'd really like to understand more about CRT. What's really going on in the schools? I hear all of these things, but is this really happening? Are we really teaching racism to kids? And then they get to hear a debate. You know, I, I was very upset the other day. I heard a conversation on this very uh, station, and I won't, I won't get into who said it, but they were really taking shots at Sarah Unsicker. Now She's a Democrat. I believe she's from Shrewsbury. I don't know Sarah Unsicker. Sarah, if you would come on my show, I would love to have you on. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to hear from you. I'm here to get your opinions. I, I, when you went out and said that you th- had credible information that the elections in Missouri were manipulated, I just want to hear what you got to say about it. That's a big, big, big deal. And when you said you turned it over to the FBI, I was thinking to myself, <laughs> you couldn't turn it over to anybody worse. Don't turn it over to the FBI. Turn it over to the voters of Missouri. Explain to them what you're hearing so that we can make the decisions. You don't work for the FBI, Sarah. You work for the Missouri voters. You work for your congressional district. We need to know. Tell us what's going on so that we can make our own decisions. And I'd love to hear what you have to say about it. I invite you on the show. I'd love to have you. It will be as respectful as you can possibly imagine. I have no intention of doing anything other than letting you have your voice heard. Stick around, we got David Stuckenberg running for president in segment number six. We'll be right back.
0: The Rob Carter Show.
4: The Rob Carter Show.
1: All right, everybody. Welcome back. Yeah. This is the sixth and final segment on this glorious Sunday evening on the Rob Carter Show on News Talk STL. Let me remind you one more time. If you're not aware, I have a daily show that begins on January 29th, 8 to 10 o'clock every night. It's going to be interactive. I want to get people involved in fixing the situation. We're going to do it. We're going to have some fun with it. Sometimes the information is hard to swallow, but it is necessary. And we can fix all of our problems if we understand what they are. We can apply a lot of pressure to the people that make policy in this state and in this country, but you got to know what's going on. You got to be informed. And I have every intention on shining a spotlight on those politicians that tell you one thing and do another had enough of it no longer will that be acceptable but I'm going to need everybody's help so January 29th every day Monday through Friday 8 to 10 o'clock the Rob show on News Talk STL join me pretty please if you would now I got one more clip from Bill Igle that I want to play he sat down it was a long interview and if you want to watch the entire interview, if you want to see the interview, it's on Rumble. Again, SR1 or Rob Carter. And look for the Rob Chats with Bill Igel. You get to see him. You get to see me. You get to hear the conversation. Very important to be informed at this time in the world. At the end of the interview, I said, is there anything that you want to say to Missouri voters that I didn't ask? Anything you want to get across to them? Here's how he ended the interview. Yeah, so one, other thing, we about one other thing we talked about my message
3: of telling folks that they're. One other thing we talked about my message of telling folks that they're not alone. The other message that I have for them, uh, when they're thinking about uh, 2024, is don't be afraid. Uh, You know, you have, you're going to hear things in 2024, whether it's about my candidacy or other, or or these issues. We can't get rid of personal property tax. We can't get rid of the machines. There's nothing we can do about illegal immigration. Don't be afraid. Uh, There's a mentality down there in Jefferson City that's trying to convince the people of this state that there's nothing we can do to make ourselves better. And they will tell you that Bill Eagle can't win this this campaign he doesn't have enough money. He doesn't have enough name ID. They'll tell you that uh, you just need to go with the flow. You need to, to be more statesman or you need more to be diplomatic. I'm here to tell you, don't be afraid of those voices.
1: Don't be afraid is a good message, quite honestly, because a lot of people are. They're afraid that we're going to turn over the government to the left. If you're on the right, you're afraid you're going to turn it over to the left because you don't like any of the policies. And then you go, well, where's everybody going to be? Because I want to be with them. And then you sacrifice all your principles. So it's a good message. What I would say is be very aware of the politicians running. Understand who they are. Be involved in your government. Make sure you are listening to what they have to say. And then, by all means, hold them responsible for what they sell you. they got to be able to get it done. You can't just talk about it. It's just like in business, right? If you're in business, it is a results oriented game. If I give a five-year plan to my bosses in a corporation and I say, after two years, we're going to grow business by $4 million. And after two years, we've lost a million dollars. I'm out of a job. This doesn't work. You just can't say things and then not be able to get them done. It doesn't mean anything. It's nonsense. You have to be able to get things done that you tell your voters you're going to get done, and you got to find a way to communicate with your voters and your constituents so they put so much pressure on the people around you to get it done that it happens. You need help from voters, and you got to inspire them, you got to motivate them to get the job done. That's the way it works. Now, I've been talking about this David Stuckenberg for two weeks. It took me a long time to get the interview with him, a buddy of mine, Max Daves. He said, you should talk to this guy. He's running for president. And I said, who is it? Dr. David Stuckenberg. This guy's a military guy. He's a major. He's a he's a strategist of sorts. Business guy, 42 years old. And he had a, I had a fascinating conversation with him. It was another hour and 15 long conversation. I said, how much time do I get? He said, how much time do you need? I said, well, let's go. Let's get some questions and let's get some answers. This is the... I think we had, what, four or five segments, Phil, of of, uh, Mr. Stuckenberg. So I'm going to play it. We may have to pause it, but I want you to hear this guy because this is a weird time in politics. It is not completely impossible for a no-name to become president when there's so much turmoil going on, assuming we have a legit election. So here is David Stuckenberg. We played segment number one last week. Here he is in segment number two. Ready? Go. Uh, platform. It said unity and transparency. And transparency is something that I'm very big on. And we're going to get back to this. Uh, the, the, you're right on uh, things that I believe, uh, things that I talk about on the show all the time. So you're right on the same page with my listeners. But I want to go through this systematically so I don't mess this up. Um, your priorities. The first thing it says is reform national security. And you made the list of them. You said uh, diplomatic, informational, military, economic, and social. Um, first of all, I'm sure that turns into a very, very long conversation, but as far as if you could just pinpoint it for us, when you say reform national security, what is the biggest priority in your opinion?
5: Well, uh, it it has become toxic. I I just literally walked out of the uniform. So I'm going to, I'm going to just tell you quite frankly, um, that this has happened before, uh, you know, in the lead up to Pearl Harbor there was a great lethargy within the Department of Defense. What if I told you that we ignored all the signs that the attack was going to happen and thousands had to die that day because we needed to wake up. Lives don't have to be lost in order to wake up. Those of us who know, know. And what has ultimately happened is that the culture in the Department of Defense has, has grown weak and anemic because we have uh, promoted um, the wrong leadership uh, that cannot win. Uh, it, it's almost been, you know, a version of affirmative action or, or whatever at work within the ranks where people who are popular are promoted uh, rather than those who deserve the job or those who can win for the United States. And George Marshall, uh, after he was appointed uh, to lead our armed forces, uh, you know, as the, just right after Pearl Harbor, he ended up firing roughly 300 generals. He had to completely convert the culture of the Department of Defense from a, an institution of bureaucracy to an institution that could win a war that our nation was now in. And uh, so that that is something that has to happen. Like we are competing right now, for example, but you can as my dad's a racehorse trainer, you can put a three legged horse in the Kentucky Derby and compete, but he is not going to win. And right now, the United States needs to win the Triple Crown, Frickness, Belmont, and the Derby. And we've got to get fast horses in the race. So we don't have our winning uh, team put together. We have to turn the Defense Department around. It, you know, the Biden administration, and even before that, um, a, a somewhat ineffective Trump administration, uh, which had a better knowledge of the fact that we're at war than the Biden administration, uh, was trying to wake up. But they didn't get it done, and uh, certainly I served in uniform in those years. We have to essentially revive, um, the idea of peace through strength that Ronald Reagan, um, you know, led uh, America to victory through in the Cold War. And we have to revive a, a grand national security strategy that we could all at one time articulate. Remember? It was called containment. Containment was to contain this toxic idea of communism, which is at work uh, right now in our own society and, and, and you know, in social circles and so forth, is pushing its way up. There's a, there's a revolution light that is going on in the United States and it has to be stopped immediately. It's, it's poisonous. And so the, the way we can essentially get our footing under us is to put the United States back on a footing, which is to win, to understand the nature of the war in which it's engaged not to take it for something it isn't or wish it to be something by its nature it's impossible to be. We understand it for what it is. It's an effort to overcome the greatest democracy in the world, the greatest Republic in the world. And so we have to do that by articulating a new grand strategy. And that grand strategy will be called, it will be called prevention, prevention of the overcoming of the United States. If there is something we are doing involving tip making, uh, for example, Um, we're going to make sure that we have a winning strategy right now. China is putting in a hundred billion dollars into new chips and uh, you know, new chip capabilities. We're putting in 10 billion. Prevention would say, well, we're going to, we're going to do better than that. We're going to do, you know, 200 billion or whatever we need to do to ensure our nation's supply of chips. You can't create a cell phone. You can't even hardly create a household appliance now without chips. And, you know, everybody misses the fact that Biden uh, and, and Xi Jinping, president of China, recently had a conversation during which Xi basically told Biden, we're taking Taiwan, like it or not, it's happening. Do you realize what he just did? He just said, we're going to take what we want and there's nothing you can do about it. That's brazen. And that is a signal uh, of how weak we are in the world's eyes. That they would literally say, we're going to take 90% of the world's chip-making capabilities and walk in and take a republic that is near our, our, our land, and there's not a damn thing you can do about it. That's how weak the United States
1: is. It's a very scary and situation.
5: This can be corrected with the right leadership.
1: We need bold Competent leadership—I couldn't agree more. I want to. I'm, I'm going to get back to some of these topics, but I want to get just through your platform very quickly. Uh, reform the economy. You're talking about a 33% uh, uh, reduction in all tax brackets, which I tend to agree with. Uh, just explain your economic theory and economic policy to the listeners.
5: Very close. So we it costs more right now for the American dream than it has ever cost more for a home than any time in American history. Uh, whatever the Biden administration did. Um, has been a complete unmitigated disaster. Um, we're going to pull some things out of, you know, Homer once said history is the oracle of truth. Why? You know, we look at everything across the arc of history to understand uh, how to manage risks and how, how behaviors can work, right? If you're in an insurance business, you look at, um, you know, someone's driving record to try to fix rates and to get an understanding of what might happen. So here's the deal we know that a working formula to, to create and reinvigorate an economy and to increase gdp is to cut taxes. that is
1: david stuckenberg and we're going to talk more and more with david stuckenberg. i have to cut it up. you know these, this was a very long conversation. i found him to be a brilliant guy. i don't necessarily agree, i don't agree with everything anybody says. what i like about these type of conversations and what i would ask of all political figures is you have to sit down and really explain yourself. If you watch how politics is working, and it has worked over the last several decades, they sell their information through Fox News, CNN, canned interviews. But there's no real probing questions. You know, Phil, you love a firing line. And you like firing line, and you and I talk about it all the time. Firing line with William Buckley was... And by, by the way, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Banholzer at Kratz Elementary School, boy, <laughs> did she love William Buckley. She talked about him all the time. Nice. Because that was a time in the world when people could have debates without wanting to jump over the table and kill each other. It was just, okay, here is my theory. Here is your theory. We have uh, a conversation going on here. And then the viewers can make decisions on who they think wins the debate, wins the argument. We have to get back to an intellectual society versus a reactionary society. That has to be part of the game plan. If that doesn't happen, then you're always fighting because you really don't have a, you don't really don't understand how the other side is thinking. And it's easy to get off track when you're being indoctrinated into a system. People have to understand that if you're six years old and somebody starts teaching you something, you know, you have these gay flags and transition flags and everything. I have no problem with anything that anybody does as an adult, but that has no place Our schools are no place to indoctrinate children So you can understand when they're taught at 6 years old And then it's enforced at 10 years old And then pop culture is enforcing it And then they're 15 years old and the schools are enforcing it And pop culture is enforcing it And all of a sudden you're in college and all your friends are in the same position You're all in groupthink And all of a sudden your thought process is so far out of reality But it's your reality It's not good for society It's not good for It's not good for you, it's not good for anything It's not good for the future, that's for sure What we have in our government right now, running D.C., the people in power, it certainly appears they're bought out. Their agenda is not peace and unity. That's not what their agenda is. Isn't that obvious to everybody paying attention? And if your media apparatus and your schools and your politicians and your corporations all have instituted policies to keep us fighting, don't we have to change that? And how would you change the minds of people unless you have real, honest, straightforward, long-form conversations and debates? That's why I say to anybody who wants to have a debate with me about it, I bring these politicians on and I interview them. If they want to debate me, if somebody from the left wants to come in and say, Rob, you are completely wrong. I would love to get my side out. You're always welcome to a debate or an interview. I'll take it either way. If you want to debate, we'll have a debate. I'm, I'm down with it. And it's easy. It's no pressure for me because I'm not necessarily trying to win a debate. I just want to have one. Or we can have an interview where you just get your ideas out and we'll let the listeners figure it out for themselves. That's all I got for you, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday evening. Do not forget, January 29th, we go daily from 8 to 10 o'clock. Don't forget it. Write it down on News Talk STL, The Rob Show. Good night, everybody
0: is S-R-1.